0: Text this morning is Psalm 82. If you'll please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 82. Hear God's word as it comes to us from Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. This morning, God is talking to us about how earthly authority is to be used. God tells us that He has appointed earthly authorities to positions of honor. Certain human beings have been raised above their fellow men by God Himself to hold these positions of authority and consequently their position is to be used in the right way because these authorities are accountable to God. In Psalm 82, God is expressing displeasure, in fact with Israel's judges. Verse one is probably the most difficult psalm of this uh, verse of this Psalm to interpret. Asaph writes, God has taken his place in the divine Council, literally, in the congregation or assembly of God, or in the congregation or assembly of the divine. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Naturally, we wonder, what is this divine counsel? And then we read about God judging the gods with a small g. And Our English translation might lead us to think here that gods means false gods, but this is actually a reference to the human judges of Israel which we'll talk about more in a moment. But continuing with the main ideas, verses two through four are are God's indictment against these judges. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We recognize God is angry with these judges of Israel who are failing to uphold justice. And verse 5 tells us that the source of the problem with these judges is a lack of spiritual discernment. It says they have neither knowledge or understanding. They walk about in darkness. And the consequences of their poor leadership are devastating. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. For when those who are in positions of authority have no spiritual discernment, the very foundations of society are rattled. And in verses 6 and 7, God tells these proud judges that while they may function as gods, again with a small g, they are in reality mere human beings who will die. The text says, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. And verse 8 is... A call for God to judge the earth, to arise as the righteous judge, to bring an end to all injustice, and he will, we understand, since all the nations are his. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. If you think about it, that verse 8 will be your prayer, only if you are living in submission to God as your authority, acknowledging that him to be your ruler, your judge, your only savior. So the theme of this morning's message is God's judging of the gods, or as I worded it actually in the, in the bulletin, uh, God's judged by God. And uh, we want to consider this theme under three points, what, why, and how. And as we first of all, consider the what. We begin with assessing who are these gods, with again with a small g, who are being judged by God. I've already indicated that these gods are human judges, but I want to explain how we know this and attempt to explain why God would refer to these judges, to these men with authority as gods. I'm certain that you are familiar with people who abuse their authority. Um, this can happen with parents, husbands, police officers, elders, pastors, congressmen, presidents, employers, judges. The list could probably go on beyond that. We all People in all of these positions of authority can act high and mighty at times. Um, you've probably encountered people who are in charge who like to push their weight around. As parents, it can happen that we make demands of our children that are unfair and unloving, making unnecessary rules and demands as though we just enjoy bossing our children around. There are husbands who order their wives around at every turn, who give their wives no say in anything, who treat them as inferior. There are police officers, congressmen, judges, other civil servants who think that their every word should be regarded as law. In fact, there are a fair number of legislators who are social architects who think that they know better than their constituents what society needs. Many people in political power are on power trips. Um, Teaching and ruling elders can try to micromanage the lives of the congregation. Elders insisting that every directive they give is to be accepted without question. What I'm describing are people in authority who begin to, to think and to act like they're God. They, they think that they are accountable to no one. They love the power of ordering others around. And it's predictable that some act this way when they have positions of honor and prestige where they are practically regarded as gods by those under them. If we think about the judges in our judicial system today, they have very little accountability And what happens in some cases is that God's law and the Constitution become optional guidelines. And in the place of the standards of right and wrong um, is placed the judge's own opinion. And there are judges who think that they can do no wrong. And if they are in their position, out of uh, being motivated by power and prestige, it's but a small step to selfishly use their position to their own gains. And um, such as even accepting bribes and protecting rich supporters. Meanwhile, those who are facing the injustices of corruption are left to fend for themselves. This seems to be the situation specifically behind Psalm 82. And what I'm bringing out is how it is not an uncommon thing for us to speak of people who are in authority acting like gods. And of course in calling them gods we're not giving them a compliment we are saying something negative about them we are referring to how they think too highly of themselves and are abusing their authority and yet here in psalm 82 the the term gods has both a positive and has both positive and negative connotations as we begin to examine psalm 82 more closely we see that the psalm begins by speaking of god taking his place in the Divine Council. Again, literally, congregation or assembly of God, or even the congregation assembly of the mighty. Um, the word divine is the translation of the word L, which is in some contexts translated as God, the true God, or as God with a small g, as in a false God, but can also rightly be translated the mighty. These divine or or mighty are still in mind in the second half of verse 1 when it says that he, that is God, judges among the gods. These mighty, um, these these gods are one and the same group of people. And it's interesting to note that this word gods is the word Elohim. You probably recognize that as the name for God. And uh, in the Hebrew, it is actually a plural word, which is where some of the differences of translation come from. But it's often the name for God, and indeed, most of the time in Scripture, the word Elohim is to be understood and translated as God, the one true God of the Bible. And yet, the word can be used in other contexts in a more general way. It can even refer to false gods Though the word is often translated as a singular, either a false god or god himself, yet, as I mentioned, the form of the word is plural. And so it can be translated even as divine ones or gods. Now, it might seem odd to us that human judges would be referred to as gods, and yet that's not the case for ancient Israel. Direct you to a passage in Exodus where Judges, I believe judges are being referred to as well here and are given the name Elohim. So this is now reference to Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, where it says there, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God. Now that's, that's the key word there, Shall bring him to Elohim. The New King James actually has there, and I don't know which version you have this morning, but I imagine that some of you have a version that says, shall bring him to judges. um, And he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. And so uh, verse 6 is the key verse where it says, then his master shall bring him... To god or to the judges i think um, again literally it's elohim but the point is an official transaction before judges based on the context we have a definite place in scripture in addition to psalm 82 where human authorities are called gods Retur- returning to our psalm we can see that it also supports the idea that these gods are human judges because in verse 2, God turns to accusing these gods of judging unjustly, of showing partiality to the wicked, and he commands them to begin judging the people in equity. And verse 6 is a little difficult as well, but also bears on our point. In verse 6, God addresses these gods, he calls them sons of the Most High. He says that these gods are his children. What does this mean? Are these God's divine beings who have been born of God? I bring that up because I'm not going to go into it this morning, but cults like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, I, I would imagine they use verse 6 um, in support of their belief that Jesus is a lesser God created by God, a child, a son of God by birth. Um Mormons say that you also can become a God, and they're talking about a divine being. Well, that's certainly not what Scripture teaches. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He is a Son of God in a unique way, being generated from the Father from eternity. He is the Son eternally. And yes, we can be as human beings called children of God, sons of the Most High, in a very general sense, first of all, as simply being created by Him and bearing his image, and yet spiritually speaking, not all people, not all human beings are children of God. Not all bear the image of Christ spiritually in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, but only regenerated and saved sinners are adopted into God's family. Only believers can claim God as as father and, and Christ as brother But there is a sense in which all human beings, as created in the divine image, given a position of dominion over this creation, have a high standing, and might be, in terms of that authority, called Elohim. From an earthly point of view, we are like little gods. Um, In pointing to how we are to think about our relationship toward animals and the rest of creation, we are in a position of superiority. Psalm 8 asks, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, angels perhaps, again mighty ones, but the word is Elohim, and have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And that Psalm, Psalm 8, brings out the balance that we need to maintain as we think about our status as human beings. We are high creatures. We have been crowned with glory and honor. And yet we are lower than Elohim. Now whether the Elohim is in Psalm 8, God or angels. Nevertheless, we are lower. The problem you see is that as sinners we forget that as children of God we are sons or children of the Most High. Again to return to verse 6 of Paul. Psalm 82. Unlike any other creatures, we bear the image of God, and though we have authority and power and honor as the earth's highest creatures, yet we are not the most high. We may be in high positions, but we are not God. We are not the most high. God still remains God, and we are not divine beings. Nevertheless, God uses this word Elohim to describe human rulers and judges in positions of authority. And if there's any doubt in your mind that the Elohim of Psalm 82 are human beings, Jesus refers to this psalm in John 10, verses 34 through 36. And in the context, the religious leaders are accusing Jesus of blasphemy because he called himself God's son. And verse 34 begins Jesus' response, where it says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? And so Jesus is there telling the religious leaders, even if you think I'm only a mere man, you must not be quick to accuse me of blasphemy, for scripture itself refers to mere human judges as gods. Jesus also explains that what is at the heart of the reason why it is appropriate to call these judges gods is because the word of God came to them. God set them apart as his spokesmen. They represented divine justice. And when they acted justly and pronounced wise verdicts based on God's word, it is as if God himself had acted. And so to summarize, God places certain human beings In this exalted category of Elohim, because they represent his authority to those under them. And it's exactly because these Elohim, the small e, represent the Elohim God, that God has the right to call them to account, which is what this psalm is about. God has taken his place in the assembly of the mighty, he judges among the gods, he's appointed these judges. They are to judge according to his standards, under his authority. These judges do not have the right to use their authority as they see fit, which would be true, right, if we were God himself, but no, we're not. Our authority, use of authority, must be in line (coughs) with God's word. That is how it is to be with all human authority. As a teaching elder, as a pastor, I do not have the right to use my position to my own ends. I don't have the right to preach my own thoughts and ideas, to use my position however I see fit. I don't have the right to set my own agendas for the church. And what this means in very simple and practical terms is that it's my duty to bring you the word of God. It's my duty to shepherd as God directs me to do in his word. Which means it's my duty to warn you when you fall into sin. It's my duty to praise you when you do right. It's my duty to preach to you the gospel as a means of comfort as well as motivation to good works. It's my duty to comfort those who are sick and sorrowing by bringing to them the promises of God. It's my duty to point out wrong beliefs. In some, it's my duty to minister God's word to you in Christ's name, which means I have to be constantly setting aside what might be my own desire to be liked by the members of the church. Remembering that the Lord doesn't call me to be popular or liked. He doesn't call me to say what you want to hear. He doesn't call me to tell it um, like I might imagine it should be told, but to tell it like the word of God tells it. He calls me to go to you and to do what I can to lead you away from any error in life or doctrine. Jesus calls me to proclaim his word even if the whole world would be against me. And probably the greatest enemy of duty for those in authority would be a fear of man, a fear of man rather than a fear of God. Parents, you must not be afraid of your children. God has placed you over them to teach them the ways of God, what to believe, how to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. And at the center of what you must teach them is submission to authority. I hear it expressed in various ways that parents want to be friends with their children and so parents avoid confrontations they don't make demands of their children as authorities but discuss things with their children as equals they avoid discipline including God's clear instruction to spank because they think that it will drive their children away or make their children violent creating emotional and psychological scars and so we have parents who believe the world's experts rather than the word of God We could speak of other authorities as well and of their duty to God. Husbands are to rule over their wives and children on behalf of Christ, which means that husbands are to see that their households are being run in a godly way. They are to lead by example, but also by means of godly teaching and instruction. Being teachers of the word, leading their wives and children in what to believe, as as well as to how that word should affect everyday life. So that the husband is to be the Lord, small l, of his home. But one who sees that things are done not his way, but God's way. Handling the proper use of authority is a very serious matter. And yet there are always those who think that having authority is something desirable. What I'm talking about is a longing to be in a position of authority so that they can be in charge. They see authority as a matter of power, a matter of prestige. And yet, Scripture's perspective is that authority is a matter of responsibility. If Christ places you in a position of authority, you are accountable to Him. And the honor of Christ is at stake because those in authority represent Him, which is why Christ will judge those who use their positions their own way. If I own a business, and a salesman that I have hired lies and cheats in order to make sales I'm going to fire him or I should fire him and why would that be because he reflects on me people will think that the entire business is dishonest and what our psalm describes are judges who are not using their authority in a right way they are bringing in fact then dishonor upon the name of God They're not judging according to the word of God. God wants judges to be just. He wants them to be impartial. They are to be defending the weak. They are to be helping those who are victims of wrongdoing. Why? Because God wants to be known as a God of justice and love and mercy for those who are oppressed by lawlessness. He wants to be known as a God whose character is righteousness. And thus his judges are to uphold his standards of right and wrong, and yet the judges of Israel are evil judges. They are perverting justice. They are encouraging wickedness. They are allowing the weak to be trampled upon, and so they are misrepresenting God, and so God will judge them. God explains in verse 5 the spiritual problem that's behind their failures. These judges are in spiritual darkness. They're not able to discern the godly way from the evil way. Verse 5, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. The Hebrew words translated know or understand, these are wisdom words that have to do with a person's ability to distinguish, to to discriminate, to discern between right and wrong. And the problem with these judges is is that their minds are darkened so that they cannot comprehend what is good and what is evil all in relation to God's standards. Verse 5 also tells us that what these judges are doing is having a dreadful effect on society because when authority is misused, people suffer. This is described poetically, I believe, there at the end of verse 5 when it says all the foundations of the earth are shaken. Think about it, if, if this earth were unstable, if the plates We're constantly moving. We know that plates are, the movement of plates are what cause earthquakes. If that was happening all the time and there were earthquakes and just constant floods, we would live in constant fear. We would have no sense of security or peace. And this is a picture of what life is like when those in authority are ungodly. Ungodly authority leads to chaos, ungodly authority undermines the very foundations of society. If a husband is an ungodly authority who is harsh with his wife and children, or on the other side of the spectrum, a wet noodle who doesn't lead, that family is going to be dysfunctional. If a husband fails to be a spiritual authority, his family is not going to know the peace of being right with God. If an elder rules over the flock of God, pushing his own ideas and will on God's people rather than the word of God, that church is not going to be a unified, peaceful body. When judges fail to uphold justice, the very fabric of society unravels. How can society function when evil is allowed to flourish? And if our authorities are not godly, then evil, unbelief, and many negative consequences are going to shake our lives. And what our text assures us is that human Elohim will be called to account by God. How? how? What what are the ways in which God judges human authority? Well, verse 7 speaks of how God uses death to put man in his place. God gives the warning, nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall, like any prince. God calls human judges gods. But we are, of course, not to take that too far. If you are in a position of authority, it may be a temptation to think that you are greater than you really are. But what should bring you back to reality is the truth that one day you're going to die, just like every other person, every other ruler. You're not all important. You are, in fact, expendable. And if you are in a position of authority, it is a privilege, but more than that, a responsibility. And a responsibility that if you fail to uphold, God can easily give it to someone else. Meanwhile, there are many instances of ungodly authorities getting away with their abuses for many years, and they grow bolder. But what verse 8 brings out is that even if there is no justice in this life, there is justice. In the life to come, the psalmist longs for the day when ungodly human authority will be called to account. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. I think this is a prayer that's very similar in spirit and content to the Lord's Prayer, that part of the Lord's Prayer when it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for the day when God will rule directly over all of the nations of this earth. Our text says the nations are his inheritance. They are his to rule and to judge. Many right now are living in rebellion against him. And man tries to tell himself there is no God with a capital G. And that he can use his authority however he pleases. There is coming a day when Jesus will descend and all will bow before him and acknowledge that he is Lord. So what then should be our response to these things? Well, first of all, because Jesus is Lord, we are to submit our lives to his rule. You must take stock of the fact that you will be judged. All of us will one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge of heaven and earth, the one to whom all the nations of the earth have been given All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Lord Jesus. And one day he will stand here on this earth. And the only way that you and I are going to be able to stand before the holy gaze of the Lord Jesus is if we are standing by faith in his perfect righteousness. We are too sinful in ourselves to withstand that holy gaze. We have no hope in and of ourselves. And for those of us who hold positions of authority, none of us are perfect. None of us have perfectly exercised our authority. That's only one example of our sinfulness. And our only hope is to flee to that one who offered himself on the cross, gave himself to the death of the cross in our place. And Jesus promises to forgive and to justify those who will humble themselves before him in repentance, who will receive his merits by faith. And so the first response ought to be to our Savior's lordship that, We make sure that we are right with him, that that we have by faith and repentance looked to him so that we can endure the Lord's coming by taking refuge in his grace. And then our second response flows out of the first, um, that at the coming of Christ, at, 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 at the coming judgment day, that we would be found honoring him. Hopefully your testimony is that you love him you want to obey him, that he is your authority. You're thankful he's your authority. And knowing that he's going to return, your desire ought to be that he would find you faithful. Faithfully, faithfully carrying out the duties that he has assigned to you as his people. For those of us in authority, that means using our authority in a godly way as God has laid out in his word. It means that we ought to do all we can to elect godly authorities in the governments of our churches and nation. It means that we ought to be training our young men about what it means to be authorities under Christ as husbands, fathers, elders, deacons. May it be that in the way of godly authority, authority that represents the servant authority of Jesus Christ, right? That's the key authority that's used in loving ways, not lording it over people, but serving. Our Lord Jesus said he came not to be served but to serve. And he is the greatest of all. He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And may it be that in the way of our authority, reflecting the authority of Christ, that our homes, our churches, our nations will be places of peace as God has designed. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what an amazing thing that we would be given. Place of honor and glory as human beings in the world that you have created. People with an inherent authority over this creation and others who have been given special authority among human beings. Um, Lord, we have been created in your image. Part of that is reflected in our. Position of superiority in this creation, and yet, Father, you are God. You remain God. You alone are God, and Father, we pray that we would not lose sight of the fact that even though you have created us in your image, you have bestowed upon us authority and power, yet we are to carry out your will for us in submission to you. Father, we pray that especially for those who are in positions like judges, positions of human authority, that, Father, we would use our authority in a way that honors you, that recognizes that you are the ultimate authority and that we are simply reflecting your loving use of authority in how we exercise our authority. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would see um, the role of of those in authority as a position of responsibility, a position of service, and that we are to be always drawing people uh, closer to you. So, Father, forgive the wrong uses of authority, um, misuses of authority. Father, uh, we pray that our authority would reflect your authority. Uh, Keep us humble. Keep us trusting you. And, Father, we do pray for the authorities of the church, of home, of our nation. Lord, we pray for godly leaders.